One of the biggest lies that you will hear from our enemy, the devil, is that there is no hope. I don't think that the devil is successful in getting this message across on the majority of our days as followers of Jesus Christ, but I think the devil knows exactly when to attack. When there are pressures from the outside, when there seems to be um, things that are beyond our control, that we cannot fix, we've tried everything, used every resource, paid every price, but we cannot seem to get any help in that situation. It's at those times that the devil wants you to believe that there is no hope. This is not the message of God's Word and of our Savior, Jesus Christ. We are reminded of this message of no hope by a little redheaded orphan from long ago that was named Annie. And in that movie, Annie, the song that she would sing, that's a a pleasant song to listen to, and maybe it can get stuck in some of our heads for quite a while, is the sun will come out tomorrow, bet your bottom dollar that tomorrow there'll be sun. If I may be so bold, that's a pretty low bar on things that we need to have hope for. Annie had nothing else, nothing else to hope for. You know, she was an orphan, didn't know her parents. Um, She was in a miserable place. Everybody was sad all around her. So the only thing that she could hold on to was the sun will come up tomorrow. And that is true. But for some of us, we're in such a desperate place and we lose so much hope that maybe even we get to the place where we don't necessarily care if the sun comes up tomorrow. What we'll see in God's Word today is that God's love is unfailing. And that does not change whether you're on the mountaintop or in the valley or somewhere in between. Would you please turn with me to Romans chapter 8 in your Bible? When we look at this message of God's love, we're going to be reminded today of the greatness of God's love of how it is unfailing, but also some unusual unusual lessons that we learn of God's love. You're in Romans 8, turn down or turn to or look to uh, verse 31. It says, what then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died, more than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Some specific lessons that I want us to take away about God's love today. The first one that I see is that God's love is seen by contrast. When you and I look at this immense topic of the love of God, it is most glaring when we are contrasting it to the things that are opposite His love. Um, I want you to turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. If you will, we're we're turning to a few places today. We'll also have these on the screen. 
But in 1 Corinthians 13, we find um, a wonderful passage that helps us with our understanding. Now, before we read from there, let me tell you about a great experience regarding love that I had a few years ago. Um, I was down um, helping officiate a wedding uh, down in Lake Orion, and the wedding couple there had this great idea for the wedding. They said instead of a guest book for people to register in, uh, let's go ahead and get a nice Bible with uh, parts on the side for folks to write a little note next to a verse that they want to point the couple to. And so that's what they did. It was a great idea, and I'm sure they still have the Bible today and can look back at the different places where the guest in the wedding would direct them to. When I heard they were going to do this, I wanted to be one of the first ones to the Bible. And the reason is is because the passage that I wanted to highlight was a very familiar passage that comes up at weddings. It's this passage that we have here, 1 Corinthians 13. And so I went quickly, and I grabbed 1 Corinthians 13 before anybody else could. And just for full disclosure, 1 Corinthians 13 makes its way into a lot of weddings that I do. But when we look at this text, the love chapter of the Bible, we need to understand this was not written to to newlyweds. It was not written to couples that need to be reminded of how they're supposed to love each other. Instead, who was this chapter of the Bible written to? It was written to Christians who were not getting along. And so God is going to explain His character by telling them how they need to treat one another. So keep that audience in mind as we read verses 4 through 7 of 1 Corinthians 13. Love is patient. We see God in that, and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. God's people who had seen His amazing power in one of these first churches, they were still struggling to love one another, even though they were on the incredible receiving end of God's love. Now, they had an example that many of them were familiar with going all the way back to the Hebrews. When the Israelites uh, were first released from slavery, many of us are familiar with that story, uh, when they were in slavery in Egypt and the ten plagues came and they're released to freedom, and they're wandering off on their own, God recognized these people, they don't have any direction. They don't have any way to to interact with each other or with others. And so God sends Moses Moses up on the mountain, and what does Moses come down with? He comes down with uh, Ten Commandments. Now, of those Ten Commandments, and as these maybe two million people or more would be traveling for the next 40 years, did God give those commandments to His people mainly for when they came to another people group and needed to know how to act around others. Is that the main reason why God gave them to them? I I suggest the answer is no. The main reason why God gave them the Ten Commandments is because their brothers and sisters, they needed to know how to treat one another. And even though this law was given by God, written by God's finger, 
It's perfect and it's beautiful. Even though they had that law, it did not produce love in them. If you go on to look in the New Testament, you'll see that actually what the law did was it revealed how far away from God they really were. When they have the law, it shows how far away they were from love. And so something better than the law needed to come. And what was that? Or I should say, who was that? Jesus. Jesus Christ was better than the law. And he was given. And Jesus responds differently than any other human being on the face of the earth. And he responds differently than anyone expected him to. When Christ was reviled, he responded with patience and love. It's amazing to see his life. Let me give you just one illustration of what Jesus did that might confuse us, but it really confused some people that were with him. When Christ was starting his earthly ministry, he went right away to Samaria. We've talked about this in recent weeks. Uh, Samaria was very much an enemy of the Jews and vice versa. But Jesus wanted to go to Samaria. He had a great encounter with a woman at the well, but that wasn't, only, that wasn't the only village he was going to go to in Samaria. There's another village that Christ wanted to go to. And so he sends some of his followers to go to prepare the way to go in this village. Well, they come back dejected. Jesus, they don't want you there. They're saying you cannot go. And when Jesus hears this, Two out of his three inner circle have a response that we might understand. They've given in to Jesus now. They're following him. They love him. They're starting to believe that he is the Messiah, the one they've been praying for. And when this village of Samaritans, no doubt, rejects Jesus Christ, the response of James and John, who have the nickname Sons of Thunder, their response is this. Jesus, don't you think it would be right for us to, to call hellfire down to burn these people up? Let's burn them up, Jesus. Isn't that what we should do? Now, we've read the whole story, and we're also polite enough to say, I don't agree with that. But if you put yourself in that situation, maybe you would have responded or at least had a similar thought. Jesus rebukes them. You see, Jesus did not respond like every other man and, any, and every other woman. God's love is only seen in contrast. And you and I, anything that we know of, God, of love in this world, we have learned and gotten from God. By the way, somebody that you know that doesn't know Jesus Christ, if you see wonderful um, works and acts of kindness coming out of them, that is also from Jesus Christ. That's an act from God, the grace to allow them to share that kind um, of, of kindness with others. The next thing that I see, I'm going to ask you to turn to Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12. The next thing that I see about God's love that might be a surprise to some is that God's love experienced does not always feel loving. When you think of feeling loved, you probably have a certain thought come to your mind. Maybe some of you go to thoughts of your mother. Uh, maybe some of you have thoughts of a, of a spouse. Maybe some of you have a child that just adores you. So when you think of love, there's a certain thought that's in your head when you think of love. And yet, God's love 
when we look at it and it's experienced, it does not always feel very loving. Now, before we read from Hebrews chapter 12, I want you to imagine uh, being at the grocery store this afternoon. You go to the grocery store and I want you to imagine there's a preschooler that's there in the grocery cart as mom's going to check out. And those dirty dogs at the grocery store, what do they always put at the checkout that the kids are going to see and want to grab for? I see some parents shaking their heads. There's the candy right there. Is anybody surprised when you see a two or three-year-old ask for candy and mom and dad say no and they start to cry? Is anybody surprised by that? Not, not too much. We kind of expect that. But let me ask this. What if you were to go this afternoon to the store? And there was a mom coming through with her 12-year-old son. And the 12-year-old son walks through and says, Mom, can, can I have a piece of candy? One of those. No, Tommy, you can't have a piece of candy. Mom, I want a piece of candy. Tommy, no, we've talked about this. You cannot have any candy. Mom, there's going to be problems if you don't give me a piece of candy. Get me some candy. Tommy, no, and then Tommy falls to the floor, starts kicking his feet, 12-year-old boy, mind you, kicking his feet and screaming, I want candy and I want it now. And then mom goes over to Tommy and grabs him by the elbow and says, Tommy, okay, I'll give you your candy, just like that. We might not be surprised by a two or three-year-old that a parent gives into, but would you think that was a good parent that gave that 12-year-old, that rewarded that 12-year-old's behavior by giving them what they wanted? Would you think they're a good parent? Look to Hebrews chapter uh, 12, starting in verse 5. And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him, for the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? The way that God shows you and I love might not always feel the way that we want it to. And here's what you have to remember. He has perfect knowledge and you do not. He knows your motivations, he knows your tomorrow, and he knows his plan that is both for his glory and for your good. And so God, as a loving father, doesn't bend up and reward our bad behavior. He disciplines us. Thankfully, we have a God who loves us so much that he will not let us run so far away without chasing after us. And then the last lesson I learned of love here is very, very practical. I want to ask you to turn to John chapter 13 for this one. What we see in John 13 is that God's love can be spread only after it is learned. You can only genuinely share the love of God with others after you've learned it yourself. Look at verse 34 of John 13. Now, before we read that, let me remind you that before Jesus, the Jewish religion was a very exclusive group. 
The Jews were an exclusive group. They weren't really all that big. And Jesus is going to introduce something new to this exclusive group here. Look at verse 34. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. It's pretty clear that we're really not able to share God's love unless we understand and have received God's love. And here's my contention. It's my contention that two years from now, each one of us will be able to better show the love of God to others. But that is only going to be the case if you yourself are learning more of God's love. You need to be walking daily with God and understanding, wow, look at His mercy on this day. I didn't deserve that. You need to be in a place, maybe a dark place, where the hope seems to be gone. You need to be in that place where you say, look at God's grace, exactly what I needed for this day. And as you find yourself in your progressive sanctification, growing more and more to be like Jesus Christ, then you will be able to more and more share the love. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love one for another. So it's not only being Christ-like, but it's one of our best tools for evangelism. That those people in that church who are so different can work together for one common cause. Now, I don't want to close today without talking about, it's not really the elephant in the room, but it's a pretty big deal. Because I, like many of you, oftentimes don't feel loved. Even I, who study the Scriptures a lot and pray a lot, there are some times when I do not feel a strong sense of love. Maybe some of you have felt that. We can trace this all the way back to Israel. Israel's people knew His promises. So many of them had the promises memorized. And so often they would think of those promises and say, God, where are you? God, we do not feel loved. And the prophet Isaiah in Isaiah 49 gives us a beautiful picture of God's love. And I want to close by talking about that picture. You see, the prophet Isaiah talks to these people who are surrounded by oppression and surrounded by death, and they don't see God's presence at all. That's how you and I feel sometimes. Maybe there's sickness that we just cannot overcome. Maybe there are some struggles and we cannot fix them. Maybe you're in one of those places where there's no hope at all. When we get to that point, Wonderfully, God has given us His written Word, and we study God's Word. And if you want to do a study of the love of God, you can spend a lot of time in God's Word. But let's, let's be real here. What is more helpful to us sometimes? It's not always the talk, but sometimes we are more impressed with the action. In Isaiah 49, 14, speaking of God's love, here's exactly what the prophet says to God's people. He says, I have engraved you on the palms of my hand. This is the love that God has for His people. I have engraved you on the palms of my hand. Now, this is an amazing illustration 
It really is. Because in ancient days, when there, when there were slaves, it was common sometimes that the master would have his name tattooed on a servant. That was common, the master's name tattooed on the servant showing that he owned him. But never, never will you find a servant's name tattooed on the master. That would mean that the master is devoted to that servant. And so that picture of a tattoo in ancient days of of the servant's name on the master might be a good picture, but it's not quite good enough because in the specific word that Isaiah uses here, he doesn't say tattooed. What did he say? He said engraved. And that word engraved means taking a hammer and a chisel or a spike and engraving the name on the hand. Can you imagine a master caring so much for his servant that he allows himself to go through that kind of pain? Fast forward to after the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And Christ has a conversation with Thomas. And as he goes and talks to Thomas, doubting Thomas we call him, he says, Thomas, look at my hands. This is the love I have for you. And we are blessed with the promises of God's love, but we have so much more than just talk. We have action. And you and I hold that same invitation from Jesus Christ very close to our heart because this action is what means everything to us. So our theme today is, is God's love enough? Does God's love ever fail? The devil wants you to see everything going on around you that is anti-God that you cannot have answers for. He wants you to see all of that, and He wants you to think that God really does not love you. He wants you to feel forsaken. And it's at that point we need to look at the hands of our Savior, Jesus Christ, and He's going to tell you this. You cannot be forsaken by the Father because... Because I was forsaken. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The work of Jesus Christ on the cross, no matter how much you may feel forsaken, you cannot be because Jesus says, I was forsaken. And the many things that confuse us, God says, don't you see? I have taken care of the most important thing. My love for you never ends. Look at my hands. Look at my feet. Come close to my side and hold on until you can be with me in eternity. Amen. Would you pray with me? Our loving Father, as we look to you, we would ask that you would make your love real in our hearts. 
I know so many here have just loved you for so long and loved you so deeply and, and you've been with them through thick and thin and you've proven your love and your character. But Heavenly Father, the devil's very good at getting us to get our eyes off of your love, getting our eyes off of the ultimate price that was paid by Jesus Christ. We praise you today that Christ did that work on the cross, that he conquered sin and conquered the grave so that we could have eternal life. Would you help us not just to focus on eternity, but help us to focus on your love and what it means for us today in this moment? While we have heads bowed, I want to ask the piano to play through. I want to give you a chance to pray today. It could be that you're here and God's love has been something that seems distant. Maybe you've believed some of the devil's lies that there is no hope. Listen to me in this moment. There is always hope. You can go to no place where God cannot see you and hear you and show his love to you. Don't you fall for that lie of the devil. You might look at your life, look at your circumstances, and you might see shambles. You might focus on opportunities missed. You might focus on your own failures. Some of you have had others hurt you very badly. God's love is there for all of that. It's unfailing. We are not alone in this world. And God's love is such a beautiful thing to focus on. And we need to constantly be learning more of it so that we can be a light. I promise you, even if you do not know it, there are people watching you. When you go into the marketplace with familiar people, when you go to the job, when you go to school, there are individuals you have no clue are watching your life. And they need to see that hope in your eyes. Not hope based on anything that you have done, but on the promises of our Lord Jesus Christ. We want to give you a moment to pray. Maybe ask God to increase your hope based on his love for you. We like to give an invitation. If there's somebody here who's never accepted Jesus Christ as their Savior, Christ died for you. You are a sinner. You are bound for hell. And God died for you, Jesus Christ, God the Son, for your sins. All you have to do is receive the gift of salvation. God, be merciful to me, a sinner, and make me your child. He promises, whosoever shall call on my name shall be saved. Take a moment to pray.